Well, I want to uh, echo James's uh, welcome to you. Uh, it's very good to be gathered together in the Lord's name and to hear this last uh, in a four-part series on the book of Isaiah for uh, Advent. And uh, these words, if you turn to page 619, uh, are words that are so very, very relevant to us. Uh, they speak to us now in our situation, even though Isaiah was writing them uh, 2,500 years ago uh, in a very different um, place and situation. But the need for hope, the powerful hope that God gives in the midst of darkness is, uh, is a message that our world desperately needs and, uh, and is what brings changes to us. Um, this reading that we heard speaks about darkness. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, speaks of darkness in the world. And back in the last passage, uh, he said, even uh, the people of God can have darkness. It says, their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation, and destruction are their highways. Well, you hear that uh, description of darkness, and that sort of describes 90% of the news that we hear around us every day. Uh, yesterday, I was reading an article, a very interesting article by a journalist by the name of Ian Brown from the, Glo the Globe and Mail. And he wrote an interesting article on hope because he felt it had been a very dark year. And I'll, I'll share you his thoughts about this past year. He said, I don't want to overamp this, but he says, at the end of a very long, dark year, after Charlie Hebdo, the Paris Massacre, San Bernardino, thousands murdered by terrorists in Africa and the Middle East, passenger planes blown out of the sky, unstoppable climate change, unprecedented rates of species extinction, 12,000 U.S. gun deaths in a single year, I can't help wondering, he said, and I don't think I'm the only one, is this the way that we're going to live now? And... Uh, what he was describing there exactly describes God's people who had gone through 70 years of captivity in a foreign land. Uh, he says, uh, are we going to live surrounded by threats, terrified by, uh, but exhausted, and, uh, but furious as well? In that description, he is telling us exactly what the kind of feelings God's people were feeling because they had experienced those things which caused uh, anxiety, which caused deep exhaustion, which caused anger as well. They were unable to look towards the future, as Ian is describing. And it's in that context that Isaiah chooses uh, to speak very powerfully and personally to his people. He chooses that because God has called him to do it. Uh, in this story, in this article that, um, that I read, Ian describes himself as an atheist. But interestingly, his article is about a search for hope through a visit to Jean Vanier, who you may know is a Christian who founded L'Arche, which is a network of communities for the intellectually disabled that has spread all around the world. And earlier this year, uh, Jean Vanier was awarded the $2.3 million Templeton Prize, a huge prize, which is for an exceptional contribution to affirming life's breadth of spiritual dimensions. 
Now, Ian said that uh, since Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu had won it before him, he figured Mr. Vanier might, be, might know how to find a sense of peace in the midst of a world that is as dark as this year has been. Uh, the thing is, he also said he had already met Jean Vanier because his own son was born with a rare condition that left him severely disabled, intellectually and physically. And seven years before, he had been looking for a place of love for his son to live once uh, he and his wife could no longer take care of him. So anyway, what he decided to do was to spend several days visiting various large houses in the community in France where Jean Vanier lives. And um, in this community, people with intellectual disabilities live and work side by side with able-bodied people. And in the community, there is a real sense of value on every person's life, that everyone has a contribution in the community, no matter how small. And that those who are able-bodied actually conform to the world of those who are disabled. And he discovered in his time there what he called moments of unscripted grace every day as he lived with them. He experienced a lot of warmth and a lot of laughter. And he had several conversations with Jean Vanier as well about the meaning of life and about grace. Uh, And clearly, as you read the article, he was very impressed by the goodness that he saw in that community. And I was struck at the end of the article by God's hope that Jean offered to Ian as he said goodbye. Ian's words are this at the end. He says, he talked about how I would find my son in the happiness of God. And he'll no longer be disabled. He'll just be there. And just say, thank you, Dad. I love you. He predicted events I do not believe will happen transformations I have no faith in, but which move me anyway because they give others hope. You see, Jean Vanier was offering this man God's hope. And those events and those transformations, which Jean was talking about, can only be found in God. And that's why even though Ian resisted, he knew that they are the substance of hope for many. And this is exactly what God speaks to us about through Isaiah. He speaks about this hope that can only be found in God. And the substance of hope is in two words in Isaiah and throughout the Bible, really. And that is, God redeems. God redeems. That is the substance of our hope. He redeems now in the midst of darkness He reverses the situation of people, and he also will redeem permanently, ending that darkness. These are the events and transformations ahead that Vanier was talking about. He reverses the world situation when Jesus comes again. And I want to just point this out. If you look at at the verses before our passage, uh, chapter 59, verse 20, just two verses up, you'll see that it says, a redeemer will come to Zion which is Jerusalem. And then just after, if you turn the page to verse 16 of chapter 60, uh, God says, You shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior, Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. 
So you can see that God says about himself, his very essence is one who redeems. That is how he gives hope. And you can see, uh, if you just go up to verses 14 and 15, just above 16, that a redeemer's work is all about reversal. So uh, imagine the people of Israel having experienced such trauma at the hand of the superpowers around them and hearing these words. Uh, the son of those who, reflect, who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. All who despised you shall bow down to your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, the city that has been wiped out. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. And he goes on. This is, this is a radical reversal of status that God is promising. It is the work of a redeemer. And it's something that Israel wanted with all of its heart. And Isaiah spoke to this hope that would happen. Um, it is echoed in that great Advent hymn that we're going to sing right at the end of our service, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, in other words, redeem captive Israel. And then rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Uh, but you know from a history that Jerusalem never saw this happen in a political way. And this is what the people who listened to Jesus uh, preach had struggled with instead. Uh, struggled with. Because instead, Isaiah's words were pointing to a reversal that was far more radical. It is a rescue far greater than the rescue from Egypt because Emmanuel is God with us in Jesus. And Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom, one who redeems for many. And the most powerful reversal happens because Jesus gave his life. Uh, and, and this is why... Um, Paul writes this, of this reversal saying to us this, once you were dead into sin, now you're alive in Christ forever. He'll say, once you have no hope, once you had no hope, but now you were, and you were without God in the world, now you have been brought near to God by Jesus. He says, once you were strangers to God and, uh, and alienated, now you are a member of the family of God. And then he says that great final reversal. He says, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. You see, as you hear about Jesus and his redeeming work, you will always hear about reversal in our lives. An amazing change. And that's why we sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you. Uh, as, you, as I've mentioned in other sermons before, I've had <clears throat> lots of conversations with my friend, my neighbor, who is Jewish, and we have lots of conversations about uh, religion, which you're not supposed to do. And um, uh, we talk about the Messiah. And in talking about the Messiah, my Jewish neighbor has a, the biggest objection that he talks about is that um, if Jesus was the Messiah then shalom would have come to the whole world. And yet he said there is still suffering, there's still wars, there's still death and pain. Uh, you know, shalom has not taken over yet. But you see, what Isaiah is teaching here is that God's redeeming work, his reversal 
actually takes place in the midst of the world's darkness. As the, as the darkness is covering the earth, God is redeeming people all of the time. Look at verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. Uh, darkness for Isaiah means separation from God, it means despair, it means violence, injustice, means death. All of those things that Ian Brown was talking about. But he goes on to say that in that darkness, in that hopeless place, the Lord arises upon you, at the verse 2, and his glory will be seen upon you. It's an amazing uh, verse with big implications for us today. Because it means, first of all, that God rules the darkness that is covering the earth. And he has a plan for that darkness. Throughout the book of Isaiah, God tells his people that uh, he has complete authority over those superpowers which were so powerful around them. But also he, is, he rules the superpowers of sin, of death and disease. He rules all those who do evil and all that is evil. Uh, But here in this verse, God doesn't take the darkness away. What he does is he invades it. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that that God shines into the world in this baby uh, born in Bethlehem. John 1.14 says it really well, of course. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us in the darkness, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. All in the context of darkness. You see, the living Jesus comes to you and me in the midst of darkness to be our Redeemer. He brings a work of reversal into our lives through his grace, through the forgiveness of sins. Remember what it said at the beginning of our service. John was speaking, behold, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. It means that there are things in our lives that need to be reversed. Uh, That is why the gift of repentance is a gift of God's grace in our lives. It's It's a redeeming work in us. Grace upon grace comes to us in the living, risen Jesus now in this world full of pain and ignorance of God. But that grace extends much further than our life now. Because Jesus will come again one day to utterly transform our bodies and all creation and to judge the darkness. And of course, at that moment, darkness itself will be cast away. And it teaches us that darkness has a shelf life. We just don't know what the sell-by date is right now. But every day, people come from darkness into his glorious light. And that is the work of the Messiah. That is the redeeming work that brings hope. And that brings us to the second big implication for you and me. And I'm going to close my sermon with this implication because Isaiah tells us that God shines into a dark world through you. I don't know if you noticed how many times in this passage the words you and your are said. Uh, It's 18 times in seven verses. Uh, And our passage begins with that call to action. Look at verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. 
I think there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, if you listen to the Messiah, you'll hear that. Arise, shine, for your light has come. But it's not a wake-up call. You know, I don't know how many times in your life this has happened to you where somebody has said, rise and shine, when you're supposed to wake up. But this isn't about waking up. It is actually about standing up and giving light. Literally, give light is what shine means. It's about a light that does not originate in us. And this is where um, the moon is helpful for us. You know the moon was in the news quite a bit in September because we had an odd situation, an unusual situation, where the moon was the closest to Earth that it is through the year, and it was a full moon. And not only that, but there was a lunar eclipse so that the uh, Earth passed in the shad- or the moon passed in the shadow of the Earth. And it looked a bit red because of the refracted light through the Earth's atmosphere. And uh, there was lots of articles about the moon and how it works and so forth. And I had conversations with my boys about it as well. But the thing <clears throat> that is uh, central to all of that talk about how the moon works and shines is that it is a reflected light. It has no light in and of itself. All of its light is reflected from the sun. Well, Isaiah's prophecy here tells us that God's plan for the world is that you and I reflect the light of the Son of Righteousness, who is Jesus. Uh, And that that light reflects through you, off of you, into the world around you, into darkness. His glory will be seen upon you, verse 2 says. And that's really what the church is all about. We bring the glorious light of Jesus that has risen on us into the world. And that light attracts. So verse 3 describes God's mission to the world. It says, Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Uh, It is uh, an awesome plan that the world will be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ simply by the reflected glory of his people. And that's a theme throughout this um, chapter. And you might be saying, I just don't feel very bright this morning. Uh, I don't know about this uh, light that is rising in me and on me. But in this passage, it is the Lord who arises on you. It's not any light. It's not a light that's coming from within us. His light has come to you. So you do the reflecting, and God does the attracting. And I think God's work can be missed because we can see our own imperfections. We see our weakness. We see the imperfections of our church. Uh, We focus on the fact that we are earthen vessels and we ignore that God places his treasure in those vessels. And so God gives a second call to action in verse 4. He says, besides arising and shining, he says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. What does he mean by that? Well, you see the power of God here, because distance from God is no obstacle to him gathering people. And all of you know people who are very far away from God. How can I ever reach them? How can God reach them? God says distance is no obstacle. 
And you see the power because in the frailty, the inability to walk to God on their own. Uh, And all of you know people who are experiencing brokenness, who feel very frail, who who are spiritually, emotionally, physically uh, broken and affected in a way that makes it hard for them to know God. And yet we see here God's power that that's no hindrance at all. He says they'll just be carried on the hip. These are the people that God gathers. Uh, It shows his immense power to redeem all people, even those who are the most unlikely to be gathered in. Uh, And that's why this verse is telling us um, to lift our eyes. Week by week in this gathering, but also in the smaller gatherings of the church through the week, our first purpose is to lift our eyes. Lift our eyes above the darkness that is around us and to see what God is doing, to hear what God is saying to us as well. Because this is where we find our hope. That's what shapes us. That's what gives us power to serve and moves us to reflect the light of the gospel into the world, which is the power of God to save. And that's why verse 5 says, Then... As you lift your eyes to what God is about, you shall see and be radiant. In other words, be people who shine into the world. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Isn't that a marvelous verse? I think that's a verse for every church, actually. This is what God wants for us as a church. To really see the saving work of Jesus and be radiant. To reflect his light in very unique ways in each of us. God wants us to have hearts that are thrilled, that are filled with joy because their hope is in Jesus. And they lift their eyes to see that hope every day. Now, in this article that I talked about, Ian could not believe, yet, uh, the certain hope of God's transforming events, his transforming work in our lives. He could not believe that these things will come, these things that Jean Vanier spoke about. Yet, it is because Jean lifted his eyes all around to see God's gospel that he began this ministry in the first place. Uh, It is because he lifts his eyes to the gospel of Christ that he has been able to continue leading that ministry for 50 years with such compassion and grace. And you see, that example teaches us that it is those who fill their minds with the hope of heaven that are most active in shining the light of Jesus into a dark world. And that's what Isaiah's message to us today is as well. Lift your eyes. See the hope of God so that you can shine into that world. You can rejoice in who God is. Your hearts can be thrilled at this gift of hope, the gift of Jesus in our life. He is our strength the source, our joy. So the Holy Spirit says, arise, shine. Your light has come. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.